We know that developing countries or emerging markets are fast becoming the driver of the overwhelming majority of global growth. Like these established economies, they just can't grow at the same rate that an emerging economy is. In fact, emerging economies are expected to grow two to three times faster than developed nations like the U.S. And these emerging economies actually represent a $23 trillion GDP, which is around 36% of the world's GDP this year. And they're expected to contribute up to 70% of GDP growth between now and 2025. Hello, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And I'm Dan. I'm a co-founder and director at Digifiance. And today we're going to be talking about growth in emerging economies, which is really fitting because we're sitting in an emerging economy right now. And to make things even better, we're actually recording this entire episode in virtual reality. So if you want to watch us in VR, you can click the link in the description of this podcast and watch us on YouTube in full 360 video. And when you do that, you'll see that Dan and I are both here in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and Dan is a total expert in this stuff. He has experience in both emerging and established economies. Right now, he's building his business, uh, Digifiance, here in Argentina, but they're also doing work in the United States. They've got employees based in Venezuela. So he's going to bring some pretty interesting perspectives that I'm excited about sharing with you all. Beyond that, he won the HubSpot Rookie of the Year Award in 2016 for his work at Digifiance. That's a pretty big award that we hand out to our best partners. So we're excited to have him on for that reason. And beyond that, he was formerly at Accenture. So we've got some corporate background here as well. So let's dive right into it, Dan. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, first off. Thank you so much for inviting me. We, uh, the way that we met was kind of interesting. I was, uh, so I've been here in Argentina for a month now, working out of this co-working space called Area Trace. And it just happened to be that Dan and his team were working out of the same co-working space. And we were just like, wait, we're like in the same place right now. We have to meet each other. Yeah, I think we did it uh, through Twitter, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like the, like the one HubSpot partner in Argentina just happens to be in the same place as uh, me. So that was really cool. But tell us a little bit about yourself and like what brought you to Buenos Aires and how you started Digifiance. Great. So I moved to Buenos Aires because my dad is from uh, Argentina. So we lived in Venezuela for about 10 years. Then uh, then things politically happened there. I think you're well aware of it. Yeah. So we moved <laughs> to the U.S. for about five years uh, to Florida. And that's actually when I met my future business partner, I mean, the, the current one. So we met in like school, in middle school in the U.S. And then by coincidence, we ended up both living in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So we started the business around two years ago. As you said, at the moment, I was working at Accenture, um, like a, a big corporation. I was like a financial, financial analyst. So very different to what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And I was starting to learn about digital marketing, like through blogs. I met Hopsop that way, and I, told, I, I thought to myself that I could probably offer the services to companies um, here and in the U.S. 
Awesome. So that's when, when we started um, the, the, the company. And I told Luis about it. He was looking for a job. He decided to join the team. And he was actually, uh, he had a vacation trip planned in, in like a month to Miami. So we said, hey, why not do some, uh, send out some mails to U.S. companies and see if we can get some work from them. So we did that. We sent some emails to U.S. agencies. And since we were so cheap, uh, I think at the moment, <laughs> because we didn't know how to price ourselves, Neither of us had like experience uh, with uh, B2B services. Uh, we ended up uh, landing four clients uh, mm -hmm. from Miami. So that was a blessing in disguise because we, end, uh, we built some traction, we got some case studies. We did this for about two months from, our, our, like, from my own apartment. And eventually we, went, we ended up getting more clients and moving to our own offices and expanding the, the team and hiring more people. So this is an interesting pattern that we tend to see with emerging markets, and I think it's one of the main reasons why businesses are so attracted to places like this is because of the underbidding that can happen in the labor workforce. Yeah. And even at the same time, you can do that while you still have access to the same level of talent and knowledge, which has been like such an interesting thing for me, how the internet and the, the sort of knowledge economy, if you will, yeah. has expanded so far that even in emerging economies, you're going to meet designers, developers, and entrepreneurs that are just as well-informed, just as capable, just as talented as the people that you would meet in fully developed economies, but they're coming from a completely different perspective. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And I think that you can see that in countries like Argentina. Personally, I didn't know that there were so many talented people here when I, when I came. And I don't mean that in, in a bad way. What, what I mean is that the, the majority of the people here speak English very well. And there's a lot of developers, there's a lot of designers, there's a lot of techie people. Yeah. And they even call, I mean, we, we are now this co-working, it's, it's in Palermo, which is a, um, the big um, part of, of Buenos Aires. And it, some people call it Palermo Valley, <laughs> like referring to Silicon Valley, because all the tech startups are here. And there's a, a couple of big ones that have moved to the Silicon Valley after getting some traction in Buenos Aires, and they're huge now. Yeah. yeah. That's like, that was one of the really shocking things to me when I moved to South America and I started traveling around, speaking, meeting a bunch of different designers was... First, of course, what I expected, which would be that I'd meet these people, they'd share different perspectives, they'd solve problems in different ways, and it no. would cause me to think differently. But the part that I didn't expect was how often they would think exactly the same way that I do, and they would be talking about the same Silicon Valley trends that I would be talking about, and the same design patterns, the same technologies. It's really amazing how, because the internet has expanded knowledge so far, uh, everybody has access to the same information, yeah. and we're all going along a similar growth trajectory. Yeah, I, I agree. That's what happened to us specifically. I mean, we learned about digital marketing not through college because uh, I forgot to say that at the moment that I was working in, in, in that corporation, I was going to college and studying marketing. Mm -hmm. I was in the third year of, of school, and I haven't learned anything about digital marketing how to uh, prove ROI or any of that stuff. It was very like uh, old, like the, the, the like traditional marketing, the, yeah. the things that they taught me. So I actually decided to quit school because I knew that I wanted to focus on digital marketing and, and learning more about that. And as you said, it's, it's because it's available. I mean, all this information is out there and anyone who wants to learn from it can do so just by having an internet connection. Yeah, it's really incredible. Yeah.
So, okay, what is the state of emerging markets right now? Why should we care about them? I think that we can kind of go into that a little bit. There's, we're going to be mostly speaking from a Latin American perspective because that's where we spend the majority of our time. Uh, and of course, we, in general, Latin Americans became poor in 2016. Uh, it wasn't exactly the best year for this uh, market. But what it did is it triggered a pretty big political shift. So 2017 actually looks like it's going to be a better year. Forbes Economics was really talking about that a lot in regards to South America. I mean, yeah. we know that here in Argentina, a lot of good things are happening. Brazil is completely unstable, but they're going down a good path. Chile is in a similar situation, and they're already the seventh most open economy in the world. Yeah. So uh, there, another one that comes to mind is uh, Bogota in Colombia is becoming a major startup destination. So we are seeing uh, pretty good things happening here. At the same time, a uh, little bit of a negative outlook for places like Ecuador, Mexico, Venezuela. So we do know that there are uh, some negative things that are happening here as well in terms of emerging economies. But overall, it looks like there's a lot of potential here. In fact, Brazil, uh, for a very long time, was uh, the third biggest emerging economy in the world, only behind uh, China and India. We're talking about a $2.24 trillion GDP. So we know that there's a lot of potential here. Um, and that's kind of what we want to, to focus on is like, how do you identify the places where there are a lot of potential? How do you inject yourself into those economies and help grow those economies while benefiting from them yourself? We know that developing countries or emerging markets are fast becoming the driver of the overwhelming majority of global growth. Like these established economies, they just can't grow at the same rate that an emerging economy is. In fact, Emerging economies are expected to grow two to three times faster than developed nations like the U.S., right? So the growth trajectory is just insane. And these emerging economies actually represent a $23 trillion GDP, which is around 36% of the world's GDP this year. And they're expected to contribute up to 70% of GDP growth between now and and 2025. Wow. This is some crazy potential, right? And it's so cool because as you're here, like you can you can see this happening all around you. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, as you said, I can talk about Latin America. And uh, for someone that's in the US, for example, th that has many options or, it's th or they're thinking about going to another uh, country and, and setting up shop in an emerging market, uh, some good things about uh, Latin America is that, for example, the, the closeness. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of uh, similar things uh, regarding like the, the culture. I mean, we are in the same, mostly the same time zone. So those are things that, from my experience, uh, were very important to the clients that we worked with in the, in the U.S. Because mm -hmm. we were, I mean, we didn't have that time difference between like, I don't know, you could have probably, probably with countries like India or Philippines that are also um, very popular places to outsource some some work. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's actually something that like uh, I was in Boston last week. I had to take a break from break from my uh, fun trip here to Argentina and go to the cold weather of the northeastern United States. 
And uh, a lot of people that we flew in for that week were coming from Singapore, Japan, Australia, and they were talking about how like their jet lag was just off the charts, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is so interesting because it took me like 16 hours to fly to Boston, but the time difference was two hours, you know? Yeah. So I was like still on the same schedule. And that's totally true. Like I have no problem working from South America with my counterparts that are in Boston and Dublin. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. And uh, regarding your trip to Boston, I think I, I would enjoy getting out of the heat that we're living <laughs> here. Because <laughs> it's like really hot in Argentina right now. It is super hot here. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have the time difference, but you do have the, the climate the heat difference. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. beyond all of that, uh, there's actually 4.1 billion people that live in emerging markets as well. So we actually know that the labor force is huge too. So you've got like tons of opportunity for growth, tons of capital. In certain markets, you don't even have to deal with major cultural, geographical, or time differences. And then the sheer amount of people in those markets is just insane. And as education increases, as uh, income per capita increases, we're seeing many more people become available to this global economy. In fact, the spending power of emerging markets has been spiking over the course of the last 10 or 12 years, where now the GDP per capita is around $10,000, uh, which compared to 2002, it was around $3,000. So that's uh, around a 210% yeah, increase. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And just for reference, the global average is about $13,000. So it's not that far off, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's because the middle class is rising globally. So we've got more and more people in countries like China, India, Brazil, Argentina that are increasing their spending power and starting to become members of this global economy. Yeah. And then this is compounded by the fact that quality of life is increasing overall, right? So like you, it's so crazy because w when you're in South America, you can see a lot of poverty, of course. But you also see a huge side that, at least for me, like growing up in the United States, I never saw in the media, which is like this place where we are right now, which to me feels like Southern California. It's like, it's not a dangerous place. It's yeah. beautiful. There's like tons of technology here. Everything that you would actually expect out of a fully developed economy, you know? And... I mean, what's the reasoning for that? We know that around 100 years ago, 94% of people lived in extreme poverty. Now it's about 10%. So poverty in general has just gone down. Uh, 100 years ago, about 17% of people had access to a basic education. Now it's about 86%. So overall, we're more educated. 100 years ago, about 12% of people could read. Now it's about 85%. About 1% of people lived in a democracy now it's about 56%, and about 43% of people would die before the age of 500 years ago. Now it's about 4%. So we're smarter, we're healthier, we're living longer, and we're able to become members of this more global workforce. So I think that we're making a pretty big case for emerging markets here, right? Yeah. When you are at the point where you're like, okay, I believe in emerging economies, I've seen the data, I know that there's huge opportunity here, how do you take that step and get into an emerging market? Like for you, as somebody who's worked across multiple different types of markets, how do you establish yourself in a place like this? 
Great. So I think there's many things to, to take into account. Uh, first of all, how well do you do you know the market? I mean, we, we I started in Argentina for obvious reasons. I mean, we lived here and we saw the opportunity. So what I think, what I see a lot in the, in these startups that that not going too far, like just that they work here in this co-working space, a lot of them, what they do is they look to the U.S. to get ideas. And it's like looking into the future because we, <laughs> I, I think like we're like five years or 10 years behind what's going on in, in, in the U.S. So many companies, they see what, what's uh, the, like the new business models that, that are emerging in, in the U.S. and that are being successful and they try to replicate it in emerging markets like Argentina, for example. Yeah. And the majority of the of the like the unicorns like for example if you take uh, Mercado Libre which is like the eBay or Amazon version of Argentina they just did an IPO uh, recently and they are worth billions of dollars i mean uh, there's a lot of uh, of companies that that um, copy those models and bring it here so yeah. that's one one thing to to take into account i mean uh, having the leverage of knowing what's going on in, in the u.s can help you set up shop in other markets that share similar cultures like for example argentina is one of them i know brazil does too colombia chile mexico and and, and those sort of countries right so, yeah yeah and another thing to take into account that we suffered very greatly was the the bureaucracy that is very common in, in our in our countries. So countries like Chile, they have evolved a lot uh, regarding uh, the bureaucracy that you can set up a business mm -hmm. in just one day, like you can do in Delaware. So that's amazing for a country uh, that's in South America. For me, it was like unheard of. Yeah. So everybody listening knows Chile is the seventh most economically open country in the world. The United States is number 10. So Chile is really, really open. You're, that whole thing where you can establish a company in a single day is just insane. Yeah, they, I think they worked a lot in, they saw the opportunity that, and the potential that entrepreneurs had and young people, people that look to, I mean, that are connected to the tech world. And in Argentina, they are trying to see that as well. I mean, they, yeah. they are starting to see that the potential And they already passed, um, they already like issued the law to do the same thing here. So in one day, you will be able to set up a business. It's not uh, done yet. It will probably be done by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So we, we came in too early. We, mm -hmm. we, we, we suffered actually like six to eight months, like the whole process. That's how long it, it took. And wow. It, yeah. And it was uh, pre pretty pretty horrible experience but, <laughs> but it's over now but that's something to take to take into account uh, for sure yeah so this is really interesting that you bring this up because depending on which emerging economy you choose sometimes you're going to deal with like a ton of bureaucracy other times you're going to deal with not very much the natural tendency is to choose the country with the least bureaucracy It's like, oh, yeah, of course, I'm going to choose Chile because that's the one that's easiest to enter into. In a lot of cases, I think that that makes total sense. But the crazy thing is that a lot of studies have shown that actually those super, super open economies are not the best ones to base your business in when you're trying to enter an emerging economy. You're better off choosing an economy that has a little bit of bureaucracy, not too much to where you're crippled, 
like what it feels like to enter into Brazil today, but a little bit of bureaucracy because it makes it harder for large corporations that are just like, let's just spam the market to get in and compete with you. And if you have like that advantage of, you know, knowing somebody in the economy or an inside track into it, that's actually building a little bit of a moat for your business. For sure, I, I agree with that. And also being a startup or, or an entrepreneur, you have more flexibility and you adapt easier. So mm -hmm. you don't have to probably go through all like the bureaucracy at the beginning. You can like test the waters first. And yeah, it, it, I think it builds a little of a, like a shield uh, against people that see those countries like Argentina that currently they have big bureaucracy and say, no, I don't want to get into all that trouble, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that that's something that, that you should think uh, about as well when, when choosing, when choosing the, the, the country. Yeah, it's worth weighing the pros and cons in a certain way. Yeah, for sure. And Argentina, like it's a big country compared to Chile, mm. for example. So there's a big market and there's so much opportunity as well. There's so many things that remain to be fixed i guess <laughs> by startups there's so many things yeah i like just walking around you can like yeah. get 10 ads to like build a startup uh based on right yeah it's so true like the you know you, you return to the u.s and it's like oh my god everything works here like you know it's it's really there's a lot of things uh as these economies grow at such a rapid rate like things break there's corruption you know there's bureaucracy that slows down innovation and there is a lot of opportunity there But what's so interesting to me is that beyond just the government bureaucracy that you have to break through, I've also noticed that sometimes you have to break through cultural barriers. Where, like, in South America, specifically, people like to do business with other people that are from their community. You know, whether it be somebody that they know or somebody that at least understands the culture and can speak the language. How important do you think it is, like if somebody wants to enter an emerging market, do they need to have somebody that's based in that market already? Like, do can they go in completely green? Are they better off buying a company that's already established there? How do you think about that? That's a great question, and I think that's something to take into account. For example, when we started, we started with U.S. clients. Mm -hmm. And we started, I mean, we based the relationship on Skype and Gmail mm -hmm. and the and the and the business one was perfect I mean they they didn't need anything else and yeah the culture is totally different exactly. it's like completely open they they trust you via via email or or Skype but in Latin America and uh, Argentina that's the, like the only one I can speak of but I know uh, that it happens in other countries They need to trust you first, so they need the, the in-person meetings. They need to uh, first see if they like you. And mm -hmm. after all that process, they will see if they will start doing business with you. Yeah. And I can speak from a B2B perspective because that's what we do. Of course, if you are a B2C, you don't need that in-person meetings all the time. Yeah. But it is definitely something to, to think about that here they don't, they don't have the same trust or agility when starting a business with other companies or people. Yeah. So this was, this seems to be kind of a recurring theme with new markets in general. Like this was especially important in Asia Pacific, like Japan, Singapore, because they really, really prefer to do business with their own people. We made sure that we hired people that were well-established in those communities and could help us navigate the cultural differences yeah. before we 
brought like all of our American thinkers into the picture. If you yeah. In, in Latin America, I think I felt the same way with HubSpot because mm -hmm. the, the person that reached out to me, uh, she was from Latin America originally. I mean, they're all based in Boston still, but mm -hmm. they, they have, you guys have a, um, an expanding Latin America team yeah and that's that they know the culture and they know how to um, get in it or like how to do business with people in Latin America so I think that's one of the factors why you have grown so much in Latin America I think it's that as well because you you've built a team of Latin American people yeah it's it's true and and that's actually you bring up a good point there like having that person that's from that culture is the most important part, whether or not they're still based in that country or if they're in the United States or if they're in Great Britain or whatever, doesn't matter quite as much. It, for us, in the case of Japan, it mattered. But in Latin America, we've done pretty well with basically our entire team. I, I was like the first guy from HubSpot to move to South America. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think officially there's like a team of HubSpot in, in South America. Maybe no. Mexico, no, right? Nope. Not yet? Nope. Okay. Well, they're, they're all based out of that office. And it's really cool because you can like walk through the Cambridge office yeah. and hear so many different languages. People, you know, <laughs> talking on the phone and Spanish, Portuguese, Japanese, whatever. It's, it's really cool. That's so funny. Yeah, I went through when I was in the inbound event, we, we got invited to do the tour in Hopswood and uh -huh. the, and we saw that happening. We saw like the different flags. Yeah. Like the Latin American team had like different uh, flags from here and it was pretty pretty funny. Pretty pretty great, I think. Yeah. I think that's actually one of the great things about entering an emerging economy though is that you get that diversity. You know, you start bringing on people that that come from completely different perspectives and it's amazing to me having been able to like network with those people and meet them and, and talk to them about how they think like it really even if you're not physically like even if I weren't physically in South America I would have known a lot of the things that we're talking about right now just from the pure osmosis of having those people on my team yeah something to add here I think it's I mean you, you are bringing a, gr a great point about hiring people from the country that you're wanting to enter I mean I know many startups that work in this co-work space and they are from the US mm. but the first hires and, and basically all of the hires that they do here they look for Argentine people and not uh, US citizens that live here and it's because of that it's to break the culture I mean they have insights that some other people that are not from here don't have yeah and that's something that probably will make or break the business in that country that you're trying to enter yeah it's amazing how many like small completely unintuitive things you come across that can make a t like a huge difference but to the american or to the westerner they would have never thought of it that way yeah for sure i was just talking yesterday to one of the, the startups mm -hmm. that they're based in the nordic countries mm -hmm. and they have a very elegant way of like doing marketing you know it's very uh cold uh subtle and, yeah subtle <laughs> And here in Argentina and in Latin America, the the advertising it tends to be more on the funny side, mm -hmm. on the uh, flamboyant. You know, it's very it's very loud. Like that that sort of things come to my mind when I think of adver advertising here. So they brought the elegant side to to South America and they didn't do well. So they're trying now to hire people here to bring some insights in and adapt their image to the country. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that you kind of earlier we touched on a little bit of like what you need to take into account when you're going to enter 
an emerging market. And we definitely covered the benefits, like, you know, why this stuff matters. We talked a little bit about some of the risks. I think we can probably dive deeper into to what types of risks you take when you enter an emerging market, because it's really important to be aware of them if you want to be successful in one of these economies. So they tend to be grouped into one of three categories. There's like three major categories of risks that you can take. The first is market, the second is financial, and the third is operational. So we'll start with market. Corrupt governments can be a huge issue. That's something that, of course, has been in the news a lot lately. It's just harder to keep a handle on corruption when you're dealing with massive wealth inequality. Unpredictable regulations and political changes. So you may have your president get impeached or uh, a politician may introduce a law that is completely unexpected. There may be bureaucracy that's way, way deep below the surface that you didn't even know was going to be an issue. Um, Sometimes there are some unclear legalities regarding ownership. Like what does it mean to actually own your company Um, in a certain market, what are the taxes that are related to that? And then because sometimes the currencies are unstable, the valuation of your company in that emerging economy can change. Over time, the amount of money that you need to be paying your employees can change. So it's unpredictable in general. For us, one of the issues that we've had is with localized pricing. We price all of our products uh, in Latin America. We actually price them in USD. So when the Brazilian economy crashed, all of a sudden, the cost of our product to a Brazilian went up four times. So it's like, whoa, man, like, you know, we didn't, we didn't do anything to cause that. But all of a sudden, our customers were having to pay way, way more. So that's something that you have to take into account is like, you know, are we going to have localized pricing? What kind of implications does that have to it? On a little bit more of a principled level, there's just big things like that that you have to think of. On the financial side, you're going to have some unforeseen liabilities. Like, uh, for example, in Brazil, the protections around the employee are just, like, so intense uh, because of their socialist background. And in a lot of ways, it's um, completely hindered the growth of their economy and small businesses and medium-sized businesses. So to be a little bit more clear, it is nearly impossible to fire an employee in Brazil. If you do, it can completely cripple your business unless you've got a really good reason because you have to pay them massive severance fees. You have to keep paying. In a lot of cases, you have to keep paying their salary for years sometimes, like depending on how long they've been with you. Uh, My fiance's mom, she was a small business owner. She had around 15 employees. She just retired and with that, she has nobody to pass the business off to, so she had to close the business. And she's pretty poor right now, man. Like, she, she made a lot of money from her business, but she's having to pay all of her employees severances uh, to the point where she doesn't really have much of a retirement left. So there can be some really weird things like that that, that can happen on the financial side. And this is exasperated by the fact that as you have these political changes, that the tax re- regimes change and what you're going to be paying to the government and to your employees can change drastically over time. Yeah, I think there's that's something to take into account, the volatility of the changes in, in government here in, in, in Latin America. For example, in Argentina, we just saw uh, a big shift in how the, the government, I mean, on the policies uh, regarding the, the, the new government, they're more prone to helping startups and entrepreneurs. So they're building these new laws that try to in, uh, incentivize companies to 
set up shop. So they're trying mm-hmm. to remove taxes for the first uh, a couple of years uh, to the to the companies. They are trying to accelerate the, the, the process of creating the, the legal work. So that way they don't have, as you said, with your fiance's mom, that, that those things happen to them, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Final risk that you can run into category would be operational. Um, so the, the big thing that I've been noticing here in Argentina is uh, like infrastructural issues. So um, here at Area Trace in this co-working space, we're pretty okay because we have generators, we've got a direct internet connection, everything stays relatively stable. But if you go to most other places, uh, Argentina is facing massive power grid issues right now, especially in Buenos Aires. So they're actually rolling blackouts. Yesterday, um, my power, I was working from the apartment that I'm staying at, and my power went down for a couple hours. For almost the entire time I've been here, the internet has been like super unstable. Like Sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's yeah. bad. So your employees can run into issues like that. Also, say that they're commuting to work. There are bigger traffic issues. Yeah, yeah. For I, I agree. I mean, we live it every single day. As you said here, we have good internet connection, but sometimes even it fails. And this is like a co-working space. Yeah. And but it's something that's very common all around the the country. And for example, we work with some people in in Venezuela as well, and the connection there is just horrible. I mean, every single day for a lot of hours, they don't have internet connection or they don't have. Uh, electricity. Venezuela is a special case because of what's going on and all the shortages in food, in electricity, even in in gas. And they're like and like one of the biggest providers of uh, of, of oil in the in the whole world, which yeah. is insane. And <laughs> yeah, so we work with them because they, uh, it's very accessible, and also there's still a lot of quality people. Mm. So there's a lot of people that are uh, developers, or marketers, or designers. Um, the majority of the people are leaving the country, the ones that can, but there's still some good people in, in Venezuela, right? But going back to the internet connection, uh, it's something to think about uh, because it's not as reliable as in other developed countries. Yeah, yeah. This is something that uh, in our remote work episode we talked about as well. When you're preparing to work remotely from somewhere, you have to do a little bit of research around like what's the internet speed, how stable is the power, how stable are the public services, all of those things. Same thing when you're taking your business to an emerging economy. Actually picking an economy with a stable internet connection is a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to, to think about that because we take that for granted, but it's yeah. something that definitely uh, one should think about before moving to the, or building a team in, in that country. Yeah. Final operational issue that you can run into, which is, this is mostly just a cultural thing, um, but you'll see, especially in Latin America, that there's a tendency to have like insider employment. So what I mean by that would be somebody gets hired at a company, uh, usually in like some type of an executive role, and then they start hiring all of their family members and all of their friends and that guy from college. And so you have to be really careful about making sure when you do enter that economy that you have really good checks and balances around your hiring processes so that it's not just a bunch of like inside baseball. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you should not only look for, yeah, for, for people that are close to you or recommended, but like build out a process. And I think that now we have the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make all the hires through LinkedIn, for example. 
and we find great quality people through those tools. And something that I, that I recommend like US startups or, or companies are to, yeah, to leverage their teams as well here in, in Latin America or other emerging countries because you can get very quality, high quality people for one third of the price. So what costs in, in Silicon Valley to hire one yeah. developer, it, you can get three or maybe even four senior developers in Buenos Aires, for example, and they are great at their jobs and they work incredibly and they speak English and they're in the same time zone. So you can leverage growth, uh, big growth, uh, by using this type of countries. Right? Yeah, and one of the cool things that we see happen a lot is that those key employees that get hired in these emerging economies, eventually they'll end up moving to Silicon Valley. The company will you know, sponsor their visa or whatever, uh, and they become some of the best people in their field because they're super talented. It's just a matter of giving them the platform. Yeah, so it's a great way to scout uh, t uh, talent in, in a cheaper way than than taking the risk of hiring someone that costs a lot of money in, in things in places like Silicon Valley, for example. Yeah. And you can scout a lot of talent in, in places like, yeah, like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, and so on. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about economic openness and how that correlates economic success. Like you don't want some place that's too open, but you don't want some place that's too closed, for example. But beyond that, how do you pick the right emerging economy to go into from like a numbers perspective. So the weird thing that keeps coming up is that mid-sized emerging market cities, again, we're kind of like talking about the middle road here, seem to have the best opportunity for growth and also seem to be the easiest to enter into. So over the next 15 years, 400 mid-sized cities in emerging markets, which is basically just cities with less than 2 million people living in them, will generate more growth than developed markets and the largest emerging market megacities combined. So these mid-sized emerging market cities are really, really positioned for the overwhelming majority of the growth that we were talking about earlier. This is actually going to amount to 40% of global economic wow. growth. So we're talking about cities like Fortaleza, Brazil. Like, have you ever heard of that before? Probably not, right? But it's actually a huge city in Brazil, and it's developing at a really rapid pace. But it's often overlooked in favor of cities like Sao Paulo or Rio. But the opportunities there are big, and they, they shouldn't be overlooked. So what kind of emerging market cities have we been paying attention to? Uh, the, the one that seems to top the list all the time is Mumbai. India, uh, Mexico City, Mexico, Delhi, India, Shanghai, Kolkata, Buenos Aires is actually number eight on nice. the list. Yeah, Rio de Janeiro is actually number 11, Beijing, 12, uh, Istanbul, number 15, Lima, Peru, number 20. We didn't mention it earlier, but Lima is actually looking, uh, Lima and Peru in general is looking really good. In South yeah, America. yeah, we didn't mention it, but you're totally right. It's one of the, the economies with the the biggest growth uh, in the last years in Latin America. And it's definitely a place to ponder about when thinking of uh, of uh, entering Latin America as a, as a continent. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot to choose from. I think we've covered some pretty good concepts. Looking ahead, do you feel like 
this is the right time to enter the Latin American market? Maybe that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it is a, it's a great moment, to be, to be honest. I think there's uh, a lot of potential, a lot, a lot of things that are not, that, a lot of opportunities mm. that are not being executed yet. Yeah. And with a little, uh, a little bit of knowledge and the right people in, in those countries, there's a lot to be done. And not, not even if you want to enter the market, I mean, to target the people here, but use it as an operational platform to target the U.S. market. That's yeah. also a great opportunity to do it because there's, as you said, the world is opening up. There's a lot of knowledge going around and you will find a lot of people that know the same things that people, I, I don't know, in developed countries know in places like Peru, Chile, Argentina. Uh, and so forth. Yeah. So quick recap. What we're seeing is that the state of emerging markets it's, is really good. And they're actually going to account for the overwhelming majority of economic growth that happens over the next decade or so. People are healthier. They're better educated. They're more capable. We're just living in the best time in history. And that's making more and more economies and more and more individuals available to the globe. If you want to get into an emerging market, it's probably good to take a close look at the laws that are there and the culture that exists there and figure out whether or not it's the right place to enter into uh, around stability, bureaucracy, everything that we discussed there, and then also determine whether or not you need somebody on the ground and like what level of involvement that's going to cause. Do you need to hire a specific person? Do you need to buy a company? Do you need to go there yourself? Or are you okay just hiring people that currently live in your economy but are originally from that place? There's a lot of different ways that you can tackle that. Still be aware of the risks that you can run into with the market, the financial liabilities, operational hurdles. But ultimately, looking especially to mid-sized cities, places that are often overlooked, countries that are often overlooked, the outlook is super, super positive, And this is a great time to start entering into these markets. And a great person to enter into those markets with is Dan and DigiFiance. So Dan, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you, your partners, what you do, what's the best way for them to contact you? Great, they can reach me to my email. So it's dan at digifiance.com. I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn if, if they want to reach me that, that way as well. I'll put all of the links in the description great. for this episode. If for some reason you want to talk to me, the guy that's not the expert on emerging economies, uh, we have an, an email address. It's hello at uxandgrowth.com. You can contact us through there. I also have a Twitter account. I'm always happy to talk to people. If you like this episode, if you like Dan, give us a review on iTunes. That's super helpful for us to get some feedback from you and understand how we're doing. Until then, have a great rest of your day. And thanks for listening. Thank you.